Excuse me. But in two minutes, there's going to be a show. Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living social history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. That was Clark McFarlane, better known by many as Mario, Queen of the Circus. And I'm David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, your host for this podcast, which is proudly brought to you by the Busker Hall of Fame. In this episode, we're diving into an interview that Magic Brian conducted with Clark while they were both performing at the 2013 Adelaide Fringe Festival. Now, I've got to say, I love doing the edit on this conversation, because although I'd met Clark and made a point of seeing his show while performing at the 2012 Toronto Busker Festival, I had virtually no clue about his backstory. All I had to go on were a few short conversations we had, and his show that had blown me away with its combination of great skills, fantastic character, and a narrative that holds it all together beautifully. But this sort of show isn't built overnight, and through this episode you'll see that there were many trials and tribulations along the way. Like all of us, Clark was shaped by the choices he made and the risks he was willing to take. Beyond the collection of choices and risks, though, the biggest thing that left an impression on me while working on this episode was Clark's tenacity and drive. Armed with these, and at times a bit of reckless abandon, he's built an amazing career and a life full of so many great stories from the pitch. Okay, we're here with Clark McFarlane. Hello. Also known as Mario, Queen of the Circus. Mm. And we're in Adelaide, at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Oh my god. Oh my god. We're and you're so here lucky. doing La Soiree. Yes. And I'm doing... Best of the Fringe Variety Show with Tim Motley. Oh, <laughs> that's got to be the highlight. Of that's the yeah, that's sort of why I came down. <laughs> but um, no, thanks, Brian, for inviting me to be on the street. What is it called? <laughs> <laughs> Stories from the pitch. Stories from the pitch. Yeah, glad you know all about yeah, it. Yeah, I just read that two seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this, I think, this is going to be a fun interview because we've known each other for quite some time. Yes. And uh, we're also drinking beers. I believe that I um, might have uh, had something to do with you becoming a superstar. <laughs> you might have. I might with. have let slip how much we make. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think you did. <laughs> you never told me about money. Yeah, yeah. You just recommended I do my straight chance. It's about the girls. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning of your career. Yes. As a performer and a street performer. You grew yes. up in New Jersey. True. In Princeton. Yes. I did my research. Yeah, right. Just yeah, that's definitely all was, over the internet. My research was just having known you for a while. Yes. So, yeah, start at the beginning. Well, I was juggling from the age of 10 as a hobby. And then there was this event in my town for New Year's where everything happened outside, which is it's Northern Hemisphere New Year's. It's freezing cold. And there's, everyone's walking around outside and doing things. I don't think this event lasted very long as an idea. But at around age 15 or 16, I hooked up with a friend of mine who did a little bit of juggling, but he also played the saxophone out of tune in freezing weather. And we stood outside and we did a street performance <laughs> at this thing. And there were people walking around and we got crowds and we did a little act and we could not believe the money. We were just, we couldn't believe it, how much money we made. That and was your first show. That was our, my first New show. New Year's. Yeah. New Year's Eve. New Year's outside Eve. Outside New Jersey, New Jersey. In a, on Palmer Square. He was playing saxophone and you were juggling. We, yeah, we, he, we juggled together and then he played saxophone and I juggled. I was the juggler and he could sort of, I think we passed balls. Like that was how the level we were at at that point. And, you know, it was, uh, but we had all this pattern stuff and we invented things to say and, and it was, 
yeah, it was just, and I, and then I just left it from there. I was always an actor and always entertaining and always needing attention and always doing, you know, plays in college and a comedy group in college. And but I totally left it until in that you know post liberal arts college education feeling of oh, what the hell am I going to do? I had this idea that in Europe you could street perform. I think I had read something in Juggler's World magazine about guys going over to Europe and street performing and. And so I just had this Europe street performing kind of connection, and and I hadn't gotten to Europe in college. All my friends went off to Europe, and and that was this thing people did in college that I never did. So I was like, all right, I'll take a year off before having to go to grad school. And what and, were you uh, studying? The psychology. Hmm. So I studied four years of psychology, which gives you nothing but maybe an ability to go into a grad school of some kind. What were you thinking you were going to do? I was thinking of going to human resources. I am the luckiest man alive. I was actually thinking human resources. This sounds future. really boring. It would have been awful. It would have been awful. Fucking hell. So anyway, oh, can you swear on a podcast? There, <laughs> yeah, you can swear on a podcast. Is there a PCC? It'll just say explicit next to it because you said fucking hell. <laughs> so this is now explicit. Oh, yeah. That'll, if people click on that. So anyway, I had the idea to go to Europe and I talked to uh, my friend John Nations who had we were going to all hook up and go to Europe, but I didn't do it the first summer, but then the following summer, I spent one year in Colorado, and then I went off and started street performing in Europe with just, just doing it like a busking sort of guitar player with a case out and juggling behind it. And when, How old were you? This was, I was 23. And I had done some Wait, busking. Wait, you 23? You were still in college? No, I had just gone out to college. So I oh, graduated so college. Graduated no already before you were going to go to graduate school. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went and skied on to Colorado, and I met some guys who were like, yeah, go to Europe, man, you know, it's, and, you know, they just live on a bag of rice and do this stuff. Live on a bag of rice. Yeah, yeah, they were like, you don't need money, just go. And they were right. It was awesome. I mean, and the first thing I did was go to Amsterdam, and I saw um, Bert on the pitch and maybe a Van Vase brother or two, and they were just doing, you know, that Amsterdam show, and I realized, yeah, okay, you got to stop the crowd and do it. And so then that very, sort of the next day, I was trying to do circle shows, like from doing passerby tips yeah. which I had done the summer before living with my brother in Dayton, Ohio I had done passerby tip kind of situation where I just tried to do the best skills I could to make people give me money while walking by the thing and so then I was like okay it's not about that you gotta do the circle show and get the people and, and I was still finaleing with five torches that whole season thinking that was a good idea and it could just go so horribly wrong I mean I couldn't get them up sometimes and, and it would be like no money and so what was in the show at that point? The first bit I ever wrote was this thing where I, um, while on the unicycle, I steadied myself on a volunteer who lit a torch, and then I ran around as fast as I could. I said it was going to be the fastest unicycling trick in the world, and I ran around as fast as I could, and then I had this collapsible umbrella that would like slow me down at the end, like the drag racing thing. This killed a lot of time. It involved <laughs> fire, and I don't laugh like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to imagine this. Yeah, it was... Uh, How tall was the unicycle? Oh, just a little unicycle. Little That's unicycle. all I had yeah. with me my first season. A little unicycle, like, yeah. fire torch, yeah. umbrella. Umbrella. I was just desperate to do a bit where it had people. and Yeah, and then um, later on in that season, I invented a bit I still do, which is girls dancing while I juggle. Yeah, to cover when you drop. Yeah, yeah but then the cover when I drop, that was Rusty in Copenhagen. Oh, One yeah. girl, dance when you drop. And I was like, yeah. 
So you were just hanging out in Amsterdam, twenty? No, 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 no. That oh god, no. I traveled all over. I mean, Europe was just that was a quite an adventure actually because I had this train pass. So I went down to Munich. Oh uh, yeah, like the year round. Yeah, yeah. What had happened? I went to in Amsterdam. I met a guy, not a street performer. He was just, uh, but he had a car in the same camping I was in, and he was a nice guy. And we got along, and we were doing drugs together. And we took the long way to Munich and stopped in places that are not pitches that no one performs at. And I was doing shows on these places that were just awful, and. My show was awful, so it was sort of perfect. And then, um, <laughs> and then I went to Munich and sort of struggled there. And then, do you have an amplifier or anything? This no, morning? God, no, no. Just I didn't get an amplifier for like two more seasons. Yeah, I had a backpack and just a clubs, balls, cigar boxes, and a unicycle and torches. Yeah, but I had to have all my clubs with me. I had to have my. I mean, I was still hanging on to the juggler thing. I was like, people really want to see me do some skill. And I looked, yeah, I, I, I just wore shorts and a vest over a t-shirt. I mean, it was, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it was, and then I went up to Copenhagen on my own. I took a train from Munich to Copenhagen. And then I started to become in the fold of the, uh, the real street performing. There were eight people on the pitch lining up. It was the place to be. And I went to Copenhagen because my brother said it was his favorite place in Germany. <laughs> so you were all over Germany trying so to find like, Copenhagen. You're like, holy shit! It's, it's in, not in the book. It's in, so I finally it's in found it. Yeah, it's in Denmark. I was like, oh, yeah. I was yeah. So this is your first season. This so. first season, yeah. So, so then your I'm first season. So, yeah. So who was on the pitch then? So yeah, it was Sean Bike Boy. This is 1993. Sean Bike Boy, though. Um, Arthur Mix, uh, Rusty, Merrick from Scotland, Vince. There was some odd Israeli guys I'd never seen since. It was a mixed bag, and they were all waiting in line. They all took their turn, and they all let me have my shitty turn. I would do 20, 25 minutes maximum. Were you working by the church or up a uh, church? Yeah. Yeah, the church. Well, no, it was a bank then. Yeah, it was a bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, bank. It's the church and is also there. Yeah, the bank didn't turn into a yeah. church. <laughs> no, no that, it's, that, I don't think it's closer. It was. Yeah, it was, it was a bank for a while, and then it was a yeah. And I came up and I saw Sean there, and then so we went to Christiania and hung out, and then we took a road trip to the northern part of Denmark, and we worked some beach towns for about a month together, and had crazy adventures, and went back to uh, Copenhagen and had this whole scenario and some other dude's bus who we had to leave in Germany. I mean, it was really like these are the stories I love the lean years. What's the scenario? Oh well, we had this whole thing. Well, we got into this accident. We were uninsured and we were like lying to the police. It was really awful. It was very traumatic. And uh, we got back to Copenhagen somehow and escaped arrest. And we had to abandon this dude's bus in the parking lot of the uh, the ferry because. I feel it like you're leaving a lot adventures. out of his story. Yeah, you're well, just <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're just skipping over. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it was really. I just don't want to incriminate people because it was a big moral dilemma that what we did. We basically screwed over these people, and I'm a party to that. But we didn't have money. It wasn't up to me. It wasn't. It wasn't my bus. Anyway, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was. It was. Uh, but everybody's okay. But it was. It wasn't anybody injured or anything. But we totally ate this dude's car with our bus, and then we didn't have insurance. Convinced them we did, and got the hell out of the country. That's what happened. That's what happened. Jeez. Yeah. So you know, and this is the kind of thing that when the following year happened, and I went back to work, I knew what I was working for. I was working to afford a van. All right, so this is all in this first season, all this yeah. stuff happens. Yeah. You meet all these people. Yeah. You start creating a show based on watching shows. Yeah, no, it, that was actually, a lot of my show was based on doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was doing material from my comedy troupe stuff in college. It was so misguided. People were like, what are you doing? What are you, stop talking. <laughs> it was really awful. I should have watched shows. I should have been watching shows. <laughs> and then, so, so I what, came back with a show that was yeah. about watching. Shows. So, what, 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 so this is the full summer. So you're saying like June, yeah. August, probably August. Yeah, I was in um, yeah Aarhus Festival at the very end. You know, we were just eating it, um, and then you go back to New Jersey. No, yeah, back to Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Yeah, yeah. got a job full time at the ski resort, full time with a tree surgeon. You know, working eighty hours a week, just knowing that I need a van. I need my own wheels. I need a place to sleep at the pitch. Yeah, that's what I need to make this work and I really wanted to make it work it was like the coolest thing I'd ever experienced it was so much fun everything about it I mean just being a part of a landscape I mean the thing that turned me on back then were you go to a town and then you visit a town and you can go to the visit places and you go to the museum or whatever but to be a part of the landscape and to actually feel the people you become inside the place and you become inside and there's a whole subculture of people whether they're the travelers or whether they're the homeless people or whether they're the market stand people or, or the restaurant owners and stuff but you, you suddenly become immediately friendly with a whole side of a place you're not an American with a dollar sign on your head that people are just like you know the same old kind of tourist situation so and that for me was uh it was completely uninteresting to me to be a sort of tourist in these places. It was very, very interesting to me. And um, <clears throat> so I knew I needed to do it. I knew I needed a high unicycle and a van and a, get my show organized. And, and I knew I could. I mean, I saw some very bad street performers making a lot of money. And I thought, if they're bad, I'm bad. I can do this. <laughs> and that was a big Set motivating factor. It was like, these people are horrible. Look at the size of the crowd. I can do this. I yeah. can totally do this. Uh, so you, when you were back in Colorado, you were just working, but you weren't work, you were in Boulder, right? Yeah, I was in Boulder, but, but you um, work in Pearl no, Street. no, because uh, every weekend I was at the resort doing daycare. I didn't work at the Pearl Street. Oh yeah, then the spring came, and I said, okay, I gotta quit my job. The ski season ended, and it was springtime. So then I I got a job at night, so I could street perform during the day, mm-hmm. and that was some real bad shows going on there. Um, so this is ninety four, ninety three. Yeah, this is the spring of ninety four. I had a bubble machine that I tried to make everyone think was like a chainsaw. So there's a plastic bubble machine that would crank bubbles out of it, and it just looked sort of like a toy thing. And I, I was making it as if it, I was juggling a chainsaw. It was so, it was way too, you know, ideas like that. They just don't work at all. First of all, second of all, on the street, much less. <laughs> <laughs> And I was juggling this thing until it dropped and it broke it. You know, I mean, I was going through ideas like crazy. So I get a van, spend all my money, get over there in June. I bought the van in London. And while I was shopping for the van, I saw a show that changed the face of my career, which was Richie Rich eating an apple. Uh And I saw him do that thing. And I... Was, you know, as a juggler's juggler, I resisted always the idea of eating an apple. That's something I did for birthday parties when I was 13. I thought it's like, you know, and people say, in juggling, it's, I don't know, I'm sure there's a magic equivalent of eating an apple. I don't know what it would be. Uh, um, eating an apple is pretty and, um, specific. But I saw the biggest show I had ever seen, and he was on the biggest unicycle I'd ever seen. And I just thought, I've got my unicycle all lined up to buy for in Copenhagen. I've got this van, which I'm, I have no money. And I was like, yep, I'm going to do a 
that. I'm going to eat the apple on the hyena cycle. You know, because I'm going to carry this thing around. I thought, i got to stay on there for a while. I'm not just going to juggle three torches on it like there's a lot of people doing that. I want to do a whole bit. I like the idea of having a whole routine and a whole thing that happens while you're on there. And, And so... Yeah, it took about two seconds to steal that act, and uh, well, but you can't. But he, he didn't invent eating an apple on a unicycle. No, apparently not. But I saw him do it, and I stole it from him. So I was. We made it all right though. Later on, yeah, I told him <laughs> like years later. Then I did that all over Europe all summer and um, made a lot of money. And came back, and instead of working at the ski resort, I just bought a ski pass to a better resort and had the whole winter off skiing. And that is the magical time. There's the magical time of wanting to do it and putting it together and realizing that's the coolest thing. And then the, the summer of 95 to 96, I mean, sorry, winter 90, 94, 95 was the best winter because you were just hanging out. Yeah. Because you had made money. You, I had you beat figured the system. It, yeah. I totally out. beat the system. Yeah. And it was just gorgeous. And um, everyone in Colorado, all my friends in Colorado just thought I was a trust funder. They just thought, oh, you don't work because you must be yeah, rich. Because three months doing yeah. shows Yeah, exactly. Day. And you can't tell people that. You, you, they, don't, they don't hear it. You're telling yourself, no, no, you make a lot of money. They just don't hear it. They're like, you could tell them anything and they just look at you. Which was fine. I mean, a lot of the guys I was hanging out with, the people who had time during the day and stuff were the rich kids as well. So they just assumed I was a rich kid. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then it's starting to run out of money. In spring, I'm back there and on Boulder Pitch doing the shows there. Johnny Fox was a staple. The zip code guy was doing his stuff there at that time. And we were all... And, you know, and I was the guy who was, like, sucking so bad just a year before. And I came back with this big unicycle show, just totally killing it. And, you know, they were all very cynical about it. And, and one time the zip code guy told me, oh, I don't go to Europe. I found Europe. I was in Europe once, and I found it too easy. I was like, okay. Another <laughs> <laughs> work. Yeah. The pigeon boulder. Yeah, the really challenging pigeon boulder crowds <laughs> of Americans. Yeah. It's funny. The attitude you get. Pitch attitude. And soon after that, I met my future ex-wife, and we moved to New York, and and New York, yeah, that's where I met you. And that's the end of the story. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) The end. The end. So you worked in Boulder in the spring, then you go back to Europe in the summers. Yeah. And then when did you meet Sylvia? That following summer. So in summer 95, busking down at the Montreux Jazz Festival. I spent almost the entire summer in Switzerland. It was like the holiday resort of street performing, just, you know, there's lakes and then people don't mess with you and there's money everywhere and, and, and you had the show your show my show was, was the was same working. my show just got locked in in the middle of 94 and so it really it did not just change a year yeah once you had it once I had it and um yeah so you know it was not proud of that show as a show but uh it would be sort of how badly I wanted it to work it's scary what I wouldn't have done yeah wow <laughs> Like, don't get it in my eye. That's how badly I wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then you meet Sylvia. Yes. And what was she doing? Back she then? was in circus school in Paris. Sylvia is a is a, was is a born in Brazil and went over to study in, in you know French and um, also doing circus stuff in Paris and she was down for the Brazilian part of the Montreux Jazz Fest and so I met her there and we had festival 
love and I kind of thought nothing of it and then she was quite young and she lived in Paris the following winter and I stayed in Zurich for the whole winter just hanging out just hanging out yeah doing a lot of shows and stuff and, and I was I was playing in a band and we, I was trying to play drums and playing in a band and yeah I was just trying to like grab the lifestyle that this thing could afford me to do and all that time off I just thought it would be great to be in a band <laughs> and uh, so that was really fun <laughs> And I was working a lot. In the weekends there, I would go off to Bern and then Sundays by the lake in Zurich all winter long. And then in the spring, I was trying to chase these little festivals around. And by about the middle of 96, really the dawn of 96, I got pretty burnt out. And then Sylvia wanted to go on the road with me, so we went, got, went on so the you road. So you stayed in touch with her? Yeah, yeah. All you were in Switzerland, she was in Paris. Yeah. Oh. I went and bought a new truck at the end of that year. I was pretty minted by the end of a, even a winter in Switzerland, Working Street. So I bought this beautiful new truck that lasted me like 10 years after that. And we were going to go on the road. But then I was sort of broke, and my, I hated my show. I hated the taste of my show in my mouth. I couldn't do it. And I was going. we started going to the wrong places, started making no money. And um, I started following Fish around Europe, the band, the American band Fish. I love that band, and so I was. I wanted, and so I kind of got caught up in like all the things I can do with this lifestyle, and I kind of lost sight of the fact that you also actually have to do shows at the right spot. You can't yeah, just you go can't to a just... beach town that sucks and you know make fifty dollars and still think the lifestyle's happening. And then I'd go off and run, try to you know I had this truck so we could drive it everywhere. We went off to fish and. And we spent the whole summer together, and then sh- I was basically broke at the end of that season. What was she doing? She was just hanging out with you. Hanging out. We had ideas of doing shows together. We did a couple shows. We had started doing a little bit of our show together. We'd started working together a little bit. The first thing we did was in San Francisco. Early, that at the winter that we were apart, we met up in America because her family was over there skiing. So I was like, yeah, I'll come skiing. And then we went to the Hawaii Juggling Convention together. And on the way, we went to San Francisco and did our first show in Fisherman's Wharf. And we Were rode it in the hotel room. Planet Banana? Planet Banana was nowhere, not a name. We didn't have a name. And just we, Clark and Sylvia. Yeah, just Clark and Sylvia. Just kind of more like, just, um, I, don't, I don't know what you would call that. Just, uh, uh, yeah, wrong and terrible is what it should have been called. <laughs> I mean, we did this thing. We actually walked around on Fisherman's Wharf in flippers. We had our flippers with us because we were going to snorkel in Hawaii. So we had flippers on walking around and that was our costume. <laughs> it was so bad. But I tell you what, we made that money, you know. We made like, I don't know, $20 and we were just like, yeah, woo we Spend it. So um, <laughs> we left it for a long time, and we, and I didn't work with her seriously for quite a few years. We'd mess around doing a couple of things because she could juggle a bit and do some bendy things. Um, she was quite naturally flexible, so she would do handstand bends and wear stuff. She picks up skills quite quickly. Yeah, and she picks up skills quickly and, and talking to the crowd and stuff. And so we lived in Paris all winter, and then I was doing weekends in Paris all winter long, and that was really hard and actually one of my favorite street performing stories which is what this is about this yeah this is going to be a story now I know right I'm just talking about my history no it's fine that's no, no. part of it is because then you get to stories and your history is also interesting so um, or supposed to be anyway in Paris I had an ankle injury what year is this this is winter of 96 so around November it's getting into Christmas time my ankle makes it impossible for me to do the high unicycle and I'm broke. 
So I get the idea to be a living statue, which was all the rage. Uh, yeah, I know this. And the living great. statue <laughs> that I chose to be, being Christmas, was a Christmas tree. So I had this whole Christmas tree that a designer friend of Sylvia's made out of like hoop skirt material, and we tied the fake Christmas tree branches to it. It looked great, actually. And I painted my face green. I had this green helmet on my head with a, the top of the tree sticking out of the top of the helmet. And I had a, an electric button under my foot. The button would turn the amplifier on. And in my ears was music, continuous Christmas music playing, sung by Mel Torme. I could hear it always, so the music was playing. And then if I got a tip, I would hit the button and then launch into lip syncing at the moment that the um, amplifier would come on and the music would come on at the same time. So it was as if so I was lip syncing. I would pop into action and the, the, the audience could hear the music that I had been hearing the whole time. So I knew exactly where I was in the music. So I'd just sit there and listen to Mel Torme and wait for someone to tip me. And they would tip in a little present box that had all the batteries in it for everything. And I sat on this thing and it took ages to set up and it was terrible. I mean, I was nowhere near made money to pay for the, everything that I had bought for this thing <laughs> because I was getting moved along by the police everywhere I went and then I was on the Champs-Élysées and I finally had kind of a half good day and this is where it all ended got into a cab put stuff in the back female cab driver which is weird in Paris and she turns around and I understand that she's asking me in French if I'm smoking or do I smoke and I was about to ask her the same question because it reeked. The, the cab really reeked of this smoking smell. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't smoke and she didn't smoke. And so <laughs> she pulled over. We opened the trunk and the battery pack in the present is in flames. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you almost burn down a cab in Paris, you get punched or shot. <laughs> But, like, I found, like, the most incredible cab driver in the world. Like, she just thought it was hilarious. So, wait, you get punched or shot. Yeah, yeah, and shot. And shot. <laughs> punch you first. Yeah. And then they shoot yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. If you've heard of a cab shoot you, then punch you. <laughs> yeah, so this woman was, like, such a wonderful blessing. She was just, oh, ho, ho, ho. and now we just got it out immediately and just sort of stamped it out and I was like, oh my god. And there's like money coming out of it in the fire. It was like, oh. And I was like, well, that's the last time I do that shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, I learned all that Mel Torme album. I bet. Why Mel Torme? Oh, because it's funny. Oh, the weather outside is right. He's funny. Yeah, that'll He's, be stuck in your head forever. Yeah. 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 Oh, it was... Bad. So, but that was survival, basically. Your ankle yeah. was fucked up, and you needed to do something. Yeah. So you're like living statue. Totally. And then that burned up. Yeah. And then what's your next step? Did you so then the ankle got better, and I started doing some more <laughs> shows in Paris. And um, by the this is ninety seven, ninety six. Now, yeah, getting into ninety seven. Ninety seven, we went on another tour, Sylvia and I, and that's when yeah, Planet Banana really started doing real shows. The very end of that season, around. October of 97. of 97, and that's when we moved to Brazil. When I met you, it was in 99. 99, yeah. I thought you guys had been doing Planet Banana for years. Yeah, no. 99 is when we thought of the name. That was when the name came. The street show in Brazil was another place that I've worked that nobody works because it's awful. 
you know, the street performing, what they call street performing in Brazil is very disenfranchised, uneducated youths juggling tennis balls in front of traffic lights. Yeah, right. Traffic stops. Yeah. It's very sad and, you know, draws that very blurry line to begging. And... So we're trying to do it. And we're doing our little show and stuff. Is there but, costumes involved yet? Yeah, kind of. Not really. Um, yes, yes. We did have sort of a leopard skin theme happening, starting to do that. We had this music stuff. And, and you're doing it in Portuguese. Well, she was. Right. And that's what changed everything for us, was because I was kind of handling the whole dealing with the crowd situation every time we ever did a show, whether it was in Fishman's Wharf or Paris or um, on the road in different times and... I would deal with the crowd. When we got to Brazil, she had to deal with the crowd. And then that put us on really equal footing. By the end of that time, which was really a struggle, it was a fun struggle. I, I really enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it more than Sylvia because it was so everything was so exotic to me. But working in Brazil, there was this sort of pedestrian mall on this very posh beach town called Buzius, not far from uh, Rio. And... She had family with houses nearby, so we would actually... But we still had to commute. We'd commute an hour in to Buzius, do our shows at night, and come out. And sometimes it, they were great, and sometimes they were terrible. And it was kind of nerve-wracking, because we'd never know why. Mm. And um, it would, that was what was really weird about Brazil. We'd think we'd do the same sort of show with the same kind of reaction, and sometimes we would get paid really well. And then other times we would literally make $5. You just go crazy, because you don't know what you're doing. You can't improve the thing that you're not doing, and... and we, um, but we did a lot of shows and we worked really, really hard and, and I could tell from her attitude towards the whole performing thing that we would be successful because it just takes that kind of uh, tenacity and we had it. Um, Brazil, street performing, it doesn't really fit. Yeah, did you find, did you, find you think that it made you better performer struggling in a place like that? Or? No, because it was like learning kind of mistakes. I mean, it made me, it, it brought Sylvia up front. That, that's, it made us a better double act. That was what was important about that time, for sure. Yeah. And finally, we just sort of gave up. We came back to Europe really early because we were out of money again, and we started just really focusing on doing our show. And then the truck burned. <laughs> and then she yeah, had to well, move to New York, yeah. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> so I had a fire in the truck. We were driving in Paris, and the boy, yeah, fire. I guess I'm not really good with batteries and wires. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say. Hmm. Now but now your new truck was made in Germany, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Germany was good. But German people. This is the truck that you had bought, like, in 90... Yeah, after the Swiss winter, 95, 96... And uh, that was when I bought the truck. And then it, the box burned. It's, the tires were fine. The cab was fine. And so we put a new box on and had well, to build but, it in Well, but it's so much more than that because you had everything in there. Yeah, it was awful. So you guys were driving on the street and then... Yeah, smoke was coming out of the side window. And I had envisioned that before as a thing that could happen. That I would maybe see one day smoke billowing out of the side window. And when it happened, it was... Yeah, it was like everything in slow motion. We got back there. It was way too much fire to do anything about. We just got out of there, tried to get a couple things, and the pompier came. It, within seven minutes, the whole thing was gone. Everything we had with us on tour, we had nothing. Yeah, it was crazy. It was really nuts. Now, we, in this tour, were you booked for gigs then? Oh, not at all. So you just... No. Just Same as what you did, just going to street, street. Strictly street, yeah. This would have been my, let's see, three, four, five, six, seven... This was starting my sixth season of Strictly Street for me. No gigs. Yeah. No, never had a gig. Were you doing the duo act only, or were you also just doing... I would have done some of my street shows for sure, just when it got 
early one day or whatever, or just get some money. I mean, our, our, I mean, we had the hyena cycle in our double show. We she stood on the guy. I mean, we had it already. We were making hats. And yeah, we, and it was actually I think we were doing really mostly our show. In fact, the week before the truck burned, the banana duel was put in the show. That that, that our show had really become a, a whole thing with the introduction of the banana duel. Um, were you characters at that point? Were you? Were you? Yeah. Just what, no. We what we didn't have was the juggling number. We juggled together, but we didn't have a juggling number. So no, there wasn't really a story. So we didn't have that stuff. She wasn't blowing bubbles. We didn't do all this stuff. So it was it was, it was still a real streety show. But she just had a volunteer from the crowd, and then I got jealous of the guy, and then had the banana yeah. duel. So that was sort of the beginning of the story that became the stuff we did. Just to clarify, because we're talking knowing. Yes. So the banana duel yeah. is she gets a guy, you leave yeah. the show. Yeah. You come back. She's doing acrobats with the guy. Yeah. Your character gets jealous. Yeah. And then, and then you do um, the banana duel. Right. And then I say I'm going to kill you. And then he says I'm going to kill you because he's been told to repeat what I say. And then I give him a banana, and we open the banana, and it was all to that, you know, um, Enrico. What is it? Encio Marci Marchione. What is that guy? How do you pronounce that name? <laughs> okay, I'll whistle it. Uh, oh right. Yeah. Very creative. So we had that one. And, uh, that wasn't a very good whistle. Yeah. <laughs> but you knew what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> I knew better than the guy you were trying to say. Yeah. So this very slow development of Plant Banana was helped by... We were always moving around different pitches and, yeah, really going the hard yard. I mean, in Europe, you do a lot of traveling. I, I think most of the street performing I see nowadays that people are in one place and they do their one spot and it's kind of a... A place you go to, whereas the European kind of vibe, especially with we have the truck and everything, we'd always try to go new places to new areas and places maybe we just wanted to check out or maybe we heard were good or just places that were nice to be in. Like we did a lot of work in Nice, which you know wasn't great, but we just loved to hang out in Nice down there and just have a few weeks in the summertime. And so we were, you know, we were moving around a lot, and then we'd always go back to Switzerland, up to Paris, up to Copenhagen, and then everywhere in between. And so it was that diversity of spots and the challenge of trying to take over spots. And that was good. So, And that was, I mean, even after the truck burned, I guess we had another What month. year was the truck burn? Uh, we were in Paris, and then we went to Switzerland, and then she flew to New York from there. Uh, what year was that? Oh, 98. Summer so the truck burned in 98. Yeah. And then she went to New York, but you didn't go to New York. No, I didn't go to New York. I stayed and paid back the truck with my solo show. Then we went to New York. God, I had this whole married. idea that you guys had... <laughs> This is, this is a good interview. Because I'm you like, actually don't stuff. know me at all. I don't know you at all. <laughs> no, I just think I just had assumed that you were in New York a lot longer and that you that Planet Banana show was going longer. So yeah. you guys didn't... You were in Europe still. She comes to New York with that apartment. On. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, we, she was living with uh, down on Avenue C with our friend Gabby. And yeah, we lived there for half a year. She's Brazilian, so we had to get married. So we had this big wedding around Christmas time. It's this is '98. Yeah, yeah, just before the New Year's '99. We got married, and then had, uh, and then we uh, suddenly we had all these gifts, and we had now for six months after having absolutely nothing, no material possessions at all, all up in smoke except for like a box of tools, and somehow our passports that were in this metal lockbox. And a thousand dollars in the lockbox. Six months later, we had more shit than you could imagine having. I mean, we had kitchens full of things with furniture and everything. This was this huge wedding, lots of people giving us things. 
So it was very bizarre, and I really like that. And also, this would have never happened without sleep for me. I mean, that's what I love about it, is that one day, from one day to the next, you can be your king and a pauper. It's, it's a way to feel life, and that's what I always say when people diss it. <laughs> well, what do you mean when people diss it? When they say well, no, I like, would not diss it. I mean, they say, well, sleep for me. And, I mean, they, you know, there's an attitude involved with it, and it's like, uh, there's a conception from the outside or from other artists that you do it because you have to. Right. Not because you want to. Not because, not you, because you chose to do it. Not because it's totally awesome. Yeah. And exciting and makes you be a part of your own life in a very visceral sense of being on the edge. And it, it was great. So that whole period was just, we didn't know what we were doing. We got to New York, got married. We were just like, okay, now we're a show. And and she's from a, quite a wealthy family, so they bought us an apartment in New York. And so then we met you guys with the Bindleston Family Circus and doing yeah, pitch that was Washington Square Park. And so you had been working in Washington Square. That's when you just started working in Washington Square Park. Then in like '98, yeah. yeah, in '98, it was a beautiful. The first time I went to Washington Square Park, there was nobody there, and I got to do my first show in the fountain with no other performer around. But you knew it was a pitch. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had actually done shows. Because I, from New Jersey, I went up and did shows in the 90s. I did a, a show up there once. And Joey Joey was there, and Master Lee, and uh, Clips of Tumblers. And I waited all day, and I did my little show, my little crappy show, and I got it off, and it was, like, exciting. And then drove back to New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I helped my friend move out of his uh, NYU apartment, and then, then drove back to New Jersey. So then, um, that's really at the time when busking became less a part of my focus as far as um, artistically and also financially. Sylvia and I knew there was all these street performing festivals that we could be a part of that needed acts. And so we started to design an act that would be... We could sell. Yeah, that we could sell. And this is now, this is still 98. Yeah, 90, 99 to 99, spring of well, 99. Well, 99, isn't that when we did... That's when I met you guys. Yeah. We did the down and out. Right. That would have been... That December, maybe ninety nine. No, no, the, that was the following year. That's right. You did the Winter Cabaret ninety eight, ninety nine. You guys were doing the Winter Cabaret at the Bowery, the Bowery, the Brooklyn Brewery, and I never went. I yeah. heard I should go. I should go, and I didn't go yeah. for whatever reason. And then, uh, and then it was the following spring we got back. Spring of ninety nine. I'm sorry, fall of ninety nine. We got back from tour, and um, we. This is totally you booked, where you were booked. Nope, still no, not still, booked. still not booked. Still not booked. We had one gig. We got one gig that tour. We crashed a showcase festival and then got one gig from that showcase festival in Israel that we did at the end of the season around um, in September. And we went from Israel back to New York and that was our first real gig. And then we said, okay, we need to get some promo together. So we filmed our promo in uh, Washington Square Park and got it all together. And, and that was the first and only show Plant Banana ever did in Washington Square Park. We just got it together and I took my spot for our... Then we got three cameras on us and um, made some kind of promo. We, we did the Winter Cabaret. Yeah. And then uh, went to Brazil for a few months. And when we got back, we started sending out these VHS cassettes to all the contacts I could drum up in Europe and tried to book our Summer 2000 tour. And from the Summer 2000 on, that's when I've been pushing the, the street arts festival circuit in Europe, and which I've been on ever since. And I love it. I love that circuit. It's yeah. so fun. It's just a great... You know, the audiences are just all set up for you in small towns and different places and families and and then other artists, big groups of people, 25 acts in the weekend, hanging out, whatever. It's just such a great 
Uh, that's my favorite sort of job is a summer festival in Europe. Yeah. Yeah, so we started doing that. and um, But, you know, Washington Square Park, I would go out. I mean, we had to live in New York, so we were paying fees and taxes for the apartment we were in, which came to about $600 a month. That's nothing. Yeah, from where we lived, it was ridiculous. We were getting away with murder. I know. And what we lived in was awesome. Yeah. But someone had to make that money. So I would go out to Washington Square Park every weekend when it was nice. And, thank you, um, and fight. Fight the war. Yes. Washington Square Park. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about Washington Square Park, but I know you have a story about getting punched. Yeah. I was punched by David Salias. Who the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know. He did a show with what he called his cousins, um, these kids, and they did a show together. And they um, they were the only act I've ever seen that used "Eye of the Tiger" unironically. <laughs> they would play that song, and that, they were serious. Who else was working the pitch then? This it is this is ninety nine, right? No, I got punched in two thousand two or three or so. I don't even know when it was. Yeah. It was I mean, on my, in, in the eight years I lived in New York, I would go to Washington Square Park. Or uh, Central Park, yeah, where we had lots of laughs and yeah. good times. That was great, Central Park. Yeah, oh, great back then. Mm. Now it's, it's no, it used to be great. Yeah, there's and that's the thing about New York that is so nerve wracking. It was a bit like Brazil in that way. You never knew what you were going to get. You'd go out there, and you never knew whether you were going to make any money, or whether you'd get punched, or whether you'd get arrested. Well, so let's go back to the getting punched story. Oh, it was just this conflict that happened about who was next. Some guy was like. Uh, you know, the lineup there is, is just total chaos. If there's more than two acts, it gets becomes chaos. So we were working outside the fountain because the fountain was on. And the coach of Tumblers were there. Tick and Tech was there. Master Lee. Baluniac? No. Yeah. No, I'm talking about, right? <laughs> no, no. Baluniac? Who's that? It's got things called Baluniac. And then he did this thing where he had the rope tied between the two people. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. kind of... They'd get out of it, yes. Yeah. He yeah, was the that, nicest guy. He was great. Yeah, yeah. He was really cool. He didn't work very much. There was another guy that would come by. He would dress up like um, James Brown and uh, change his costume. Yeah. And he would do uh, James Brown. He would do Michael Jackson. Yeah. I remember and, that guy. Yeah, he was funny. And, and there was a sword guy. The crazy sword guy. Well, crazy sword guy, yeah, yeah. He wasn't really a player, I would say. He was just <laughs> no, crazy he was sword guy. crazy guy who would do a show. He would, cut a he would start, yeah, he would start before everybody got there and then make announcements about hiring him as a stuntman. Uh, <laughs> that you, he was available as a stuntman. <laughs> and, oh man, crazy guy. He had a little dog. Ugh. I mean, look, watch the Square Park, greatest audiences ever. Like, they were, they were the best shows. It could be so good. There was a heyday back really early on when it was really just Tick and Tack. Tick and Tack didn't have drummers or other dancers, just the two of them. Tick and Tack are break dancers. Yeah, yeah, break dancers. They were doing a nice show, just the two of them. Really strong, great presentation, stolen by most acts in that work in New York today. Yeah. Pretty much every element of their show can be seen anywhere around, around the world without man. personality yeah. most of the time. Tick and Tack are great. They were really well. I love them. I mean, I mean, they were a good show. I, I saw their show a thousand times, and I mean, they were. Yeah, I mean, when look, we're talking about shows, not whether yeah. or not they wait in line. 
Um, <laughs> like waiting in line was important to me. Um, they didn't feel as important. Um, no, just about that. Start so them. They start, and especially, but back then they would wait in line because it was just two of them. So it was just them, Master Lee and I. We'd switch off three-way. Blah, blah, blah. Master Lee would always get there first for the first show and probably stay late for the third. You know, he, he would always do the three, and Tick Attack and I would do two each. And no, those were mellow, everybody wins kind of situation. Well, that was like when we were working Central Park. It was the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It could have been, yeah. It was like me, you, Gilly. Yeah. Uh, and Mega Flash. Yeah, Mega Flash would and be then, there. I didn't really have that many great, like, I mean, I went, I went through weeks and weeks of this in, in Washington Square Park. I didn't really do that in Central Park as much. I can remember that time being, because Planet Banana would work up there. And anyway, yeah, so... Oh, wait, you were talking about you getting punched. Yes, yes. So we were all there, and um, this guy would come around with his cousins and do this terrible show of acrobatics. And then the next time I saw them, they were actually just the cousins in the subway doing acrobatics. It was really wrong. And they're young. These kids are 10 and 13 or something. And this guy, this big dude who has anger issues. So he said, um, he says to me that it's his turn, and I, it clearly was not. And so I made point of that and then the next thing I know I'm staggering backwards trying to stay on my feet and I just went I, I just got punched and from the outside <laughs> apparently it looked she like didn't see it coming I guess. not at all not at all I mean I was angry and I mean I was yeah. I mean because yeah I was putting up definitely I was arguing about it because it was fully my turn and he wanted to look big and it was it was hilarious about it first of all was that it was those edges were so big outside the fountain it was actually in the edge of the Eclipse of Tumblr show. So we were standing in the show <laughs> when he punched me. Oh, yeah. And he could see that Tick and Tack and Master Lee were watching, and that's apparently why he hit me, because he wanted to show them that he doesn't take crap, you know, that he's here to stay and this and that, which he wasn't there to stay. He never stayed. Yeah. <laughs> so that was why he hit me. But I guess from the outside it looked funny because... He got all boxing out. You know, he was like about to hit me again. And my staggering actually looked to everybody else like I was circling him about to punch him as well, like starting a fight. But I was just trying to stay on my feet and I was just sort of like backwards and sideways. And then never. So he started circling around and it looked like we were fighting for about two seconds <laughs> until I just like realized I was punched and just walked away like the fucking. I mean, I'm, I'm flight. I do flight. I don't. I, 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 <laughs> no, no fight. Just I, I fly. I can run for a long time very fast. <laughs> Away from people <laughs> Away who are from trying me. to hit you. Yeah, I don't do hitting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it was funny because that's one of the things. I mean, you know, Master Lee was like, all right, I didn't know you could take a punch. And he was all really, uh, they thought it was, you know, it was part of that kind of cred you can't buy. In yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, You're like okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it was worth it. And I did write a joke for my next show, which started with... Um, he did the next show, obviously. When you punch someone, it means you're next. If you don't know, if, if you're just starting out and busking, uh, if you punch, you, you're next. That's how it works. <laughs> it's so, advice to the kids out there. Yeah, yeah. If you punch, yeah. you get to play next. Yeah, so it's it. just arrive, you know, yeah. with the, if everyone does the draw or whatever, just punch the person who picks first. And then it's the your face. turn. <laughs> so I said something like, I don't, I'm a pacifist, I don't fight, unless I'm absolutely sure I can kick their ass. That was the joke I wrote for my next show. <laughs> True. What I remember of Washington Square Park is, um, or actually just a story I want you to tell about Washington Square Park, because you mentioned the fountain, is you attempting to do a water show, a show in the fountain. Yeah. 
so I noticed that all the shit hits the fan when the fountain's on and everyone's on the outside, which makes the entire circle around it a pitch. Anything goes. You can go on that side, that side, that side. You can go up, up against someone right next to them while they're playing. So I said, if I could hold down the fountain while it was on, <laughs> I, I will rule. I will rule. You can all be on the outside and I'll fight it out over there, but I will have the center of the because physical you know center of the place the spiritual center will I will so I did a show in the fountain a couple times I think I saw both actually <laughs> <laughs> I think I was like you're gonna do what you're gonna do what I'm coming yeah because uh, that would have been when we were working with the circus because I don't think I had really started doing street shows at that point yeah but I just wanted to see what you were doing in Washington Square Park you're like I'm gonna do a show in the fountain now I did spend that in January in Brazil on my own in a cabin on a beach so the idea there sounded great Mm -hmm. so I prepared everything there I had a surfboard and I would roll a bowl on a surfboard and I had plastic crates that would I'd get a volunteer out on the crates but I still hung on to the idea of having torches so okay torches in (laughs) water alright no one bothered to tell me that that wasn't going to work I really blame the world (laughs) ugh yeah. It was a bit like the Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. Except safer, fire-wise. Yeah. <laughs> you're, safe. you're just dropping torches you in, just, the, in the Yeah, town. and they're wet. It's over. Like, you can't, it's not like a relight. It's like, it's over. It's yeah. like, oh my God. It was so Yeah, because you had the roll of bowl. You had the surfboard, right? And then you had something propping it up and then you had the, the girl pulled out pulled out like pulled a, out a, a Diablo or something that was propping it up so it was so then so it, it could start right. and then roll it and then and then you're trying to juggle on this I don't know, bailed into the water pretty much. And then <laughs> people that were still walking, no one actually sat down to watch this. There was uh, a they, few were, people. they were they were oh, they would look away. <laughs> oh man. That was hilarious though. Yeah. You'd I mean, probably be the first person ever to attempt to do a show inside the fountain when it was on. Yeah. Like the first that, person that worked resume. in Bouzius and the first person that worked in Luxembourg City. And the first you're a trailblazer. You shouldn't do. And you're a trailblazer. Trailblazer. <laughs> that is like, yeah. That is, I don't know, are you, when you bark up the wrong tree, <laughs> are you innovating or are you, <laughs> I think, yeah, people have to also go down the trail. Yeah. After you, for it to be blazing trail. Well, think of uh, Philippe Petit, like he crossed Twin Towers. Yeah. No one ever did that's that. That's right, that's right. Yeah. So, you No can, one did that. No one has ever done a show inside yeah. the fountain, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's just like So there me. you go. I'm just putting you up there with him. Thanks. Because that seems to be cool. (laughs) (laughs) The accomplishments. Mm. So I want to ask you about creating um, like a character show. Because Planet Banana, when you started, you said you you guys just was like a busking show. But then it eventually became characters. You had the wigs. Yeah, we... For what I thought would sell on the festival market, we had to sort of dress it up as yeah. not a busking show. So that meant costumes, and we thought we just kept going further and further with costumes, so we had wigs, and we liked this hyper-real situation, so it was all very kitschy. And so we had these themes and the music and the costume concept, and so, you know, it was going somewhere. Then when we were in New York, we had the dream about working with a live band, and we started doing um, the indoor show, and that's when... That's when Mario, Mario started, yeah. yeah. So that was when you were doing after the Bindlestiff show. When, that's when you guys were doing your yeah. the plant banana. Yeah, during the Buckaroo Bindlestiff Wild West Gender Bender Jamboree <laughs> season. Yeehaw! Was, yeehaw! Yeah, you and had to was, be a cowboy. 
Yes. And winter a, winter yeah. 2001 to 2. You were in that show. We were in that show with uh, future Cirque du Soleil star Michelle Matlock. That's right. And, um, and lots of other people. Lots of other people. But I just saw her the other week, which was great. Not yeah. since then have I seen her, really. Wow. Yeah. And uh, we had such a good time. Anyway, yeah. So everything, my whole focus was now indoors. And Mario was born in that world of indoors doing more sort of variety act style and being influenced by the likes of Chris Razi and the downtown comedy scene and but also also some of the more involved shows that we saw on the outdoor circuit in Europe Arrosé Les Arrosé for example they did a lot of stuff where they changed into each other's costumes and mm-hmm. stuff and we thought that's a great device so I was Mario I was her she was Mario I was uh, she was me and and you know we did this sort of full-length theater show that was all madcap and put in our numbers and, she, and Sylvia got to sing and she's an amazing singer and also do trapeze which we couldn't do in the street and it was really a great creative time and we really felt like that was really the risk-taking situation that led to somewhere not the risk-taking situation like I'll do a show in the fountain that was the most fucking stupid idea and um, yeah so we did our thing and we worked hard and we toured everywhere with this thing and then we got divorced and I had to salvage a solo career and the best thing coming out of that was one of the characters from that show which was the Mario thing which I've been doing ever since yeah and, then, and when you first did Mario you basically had the Another One Bites the Dust yeah and then you did the chair thing in America it's called Buckets it's a clown act where you people sit. I didn't do that very much though on the street I didn't do no, that no you didn't do it on the yeah, street yeah. I'm saying in, in that show in that show yeah, that's all it, what Mario had at that point right, was exactly. that's all we did yeah. yeah you did oh wait didn't you do uh, did you do Devil Six with a broom Yes, for the first few shows, but that was cut quite soon. After yeah, that it was invented because when you guys did that show, you didn't well, you didn't tour with that theater show, but you were just you were still no, doing no, the no. Pun. But you're we, the but we were that, but everything about that show infused itself into our street show. So we did the tango on the street net from then on. We oh did, right, we did a lot of the numbers. I mean, the whole. Um, Everything was, and the, the whole, much more costuming and, and everything. And at that point, you already built up uh, a network because you had been doing Europe for a few years at that yeah. point, right? So yeah. Then you, yeah. So our show was improving ever more because of our investment in the theater show idea. You know, we did Edinburgh, and that led to also some good street gigs and stuff. And I mean, it's, um, uh, I mean, my, by, like I said, from 2000, my but the focus was away from busking. I would do still busking. Busking was was in a very safe place in my life. It was I didn't rely on it. I'm very happy about that to have relied on it for about five years or six, and then to not rely on it after that was something that I feel very lucky. I wouldn't be busking. I don't think if I had relied on it since then. If that's all you did, yeah, I don't think I could. You wouldn't still be sustain it. it. Yeah. yeah, it's <laughs> such a hustle. It's so hard. And my relationship to it stays fresh because I, I don't rely on it fully. I still really love to do it. You don't really have the opportunity much anymore. Yeah, you better believe it. Next three months, every weekend, you'll see me in Brisbane, South Bank. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep, yep, I'll be out there. I like South Bank. It's good. So when you started doing the Mario show, I actually remember this. It was actually here in Adelaide. This is like the creation of a show. Yeah. It was 2004. Yeah. Right? We were here. Yeah. You were in Sydney. You told me that you were doing your show. Yeah. And then you started doing your show with an accent. Yeah. With the Mario accent. Yeah. And then you started dressing like Mario. Yeah. Still doing 
the so, Clark. So yeah, my marriage juggling. was falling apart. So I was back in Sydney doing my fire juggling apple show, and that's why I think I am traumatized by needing busking because at that time I really needed to be doing it. And it was such a heavy work in Sydney. It was really hard to get the audience. It was hot. And I was just working hard, doing three, four shows a day for the whole month of January for school holidays. And and then, yeah, just to mix it up, I started doing the show with the accent. And that really injected a fresh sort of take on all the lines I was doing and restructuring the whole phrase around the accent. Not just saying the words, but making funny uses of English with it and then I got to go back and do an Australian accent to explain something to a guy <laughs> That's right. and these were really fun sort of creative times and stepping stones to doing the Mario show as a full length real street show that debuted in Adelaide yeah what I remember Adelaide was with we, real audiences yeah well we were all staying where I'm staying now that Stupid fucking hospital. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And then, because uh, there was loads of us, because that was back when you'd go to the draw for Rundle Mall. Yeah, yeah. It was tons and then, of And then there was the garden, but the yeah. garden was, the pitch was outside the garden, not in the garden. Right. So it was just street, yeah. and it was amazing. And you kept getting the 11 o'clock show. Yeah, but you I would pick choose. Yeah, yeah. Show. People, no one would choose the eleven or midnight show. And so, it was yeah. great. And it, but it was a workshop for you because I remember yeah. each day you had a new idea you were yeah. going to try. Yeah, and you became the show that all the performers were like, "Oh, Clark's doing the thing again. Let's see what he's got tonight." Yeah, that was lovely. The support from the street community was awesome during that time, and people were really, really embracing this uh, character thing. And I felt really, I, I felt I had a at that point probably a peak career experience of. I had the years of chipping away at my busking muscle, you know, <laughs> chipping away at my busking, no, strengthening my busking muscle, chipping away at my ability to get a crowd and all that. I had that behind me, as well as the focus of the indoor and the dedication to the kind of the character work that we had been doing with Mario. You so, had a backlog of all this experience. Yeah, yeah, and the material with the banana duel was in there, the dancing girl from season one was in there, and the apple... Most of the time wasn't. I actually was eating the apple a little bit, but then I started having everybody sing We Are the Champions, and then I would find an apple in a tree. <laughs> That's right, you put it. an apple yeah. in it was that still, tree. It was such a transition period. But well, I woke up one morning and I said, wow, I really have to clean up the banana, because in our show, in Planet Banana, I had this time when Sylvia did something and I got to clean up the banana, and it's just a mess, and the next act comes on and people tread on it if they're giving me money. So I had to clean it. I had this idea, okay, fuck, i got to work out a way during my solo show to clean up the banana so I said oh so I die in the banana duel and then the guy sings well, Mama just, just killed a man just to clarify yeah. in case people haven't seen the banana duel you're spitting bananas at each other bananas, yeah, yeah, banana so duel. they get all over the pitch right the, the, sorry yeah sometimes sorry. on somebody's straight jacket yeah, yeah. <laughs> sometimes not never yours <laughs> but no, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> just in central Park. once um, <laughs> right, so, so you uh, need to you need to come up. All right, you got to clean the banana. How are we going to do this? And you come up with the idea. So of, yeah, so uh, this guy sings this Queen song because now everything's based on Queen with this Mario character, and so all the songs are changed to Queen songs. And so he's singing "Mama Just Killed a Man," and then I'll run around while he's doing that and clean the bananas. The first thing I did, I got up to clean the first banana the first time this guy was singing, and realized I can't move while this guy's doing this. This is awesome like everyone's gonna watch it I have to be focused on it obviously this guy's doing this thing and I would have never really put that part in there had it not been a necessity that I thought was in the show that I needed to clean up the bananas I just left everybody trotting upon him I never cleaned up the bananas <laughs> in the show after that but this moment of the volunteer singing was such a transition 
that really made sort of the end of the story. And then the banana duel in Planet Banana never had an end. And now, with this thing, it, it, it finally, like after ten years or whatever, okay, five, but um, of doing the banana duel, it finally had a really good end. Yeah, so that was all Adelaide, 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 and yeah. the, the and the, the. I remember you coming down on the pitch with a. Uh, you got oh look, I'm, I wrote out the lyrics to the song, so the guy knows how to sing. Yeah, song. yeah, you get yeah. Found cardboard oh, boxes. Yeah, and you totally, wrote out the yeah, lyrics. Yeah, yeah, and that was great. It was fun. It was inspiring. I think for everybody. I think that's why there was the support is because you were having so much fun and and each day you were you had a new idea you wanted to try out. Yeah. And everyone else was just doing the shows that we were doing, and then here's somebody that is now taking all these risks. Yeah, yeah, and being excited about it. Yeah, totally. And it's like everyone rooting you on, like, oh, right yeah, go, do it. Yeah. Like, I felt like I was punching meat in a frozen locker in Sydney for the whole time and then coming out to the Las Vegas arena in Adelaide. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, the difference between the audience response in Adelaide during the festival and the audience response in Sydney during a busking pitch is you just can't even compare it. So it was, it was kid in candy store time. Yeah, so, um, but then uh, coming back to New York with that show, doing it on then Union Square, of, the, of all places, that was yeah. the best period of street performing. I just, I got fan mail two weeks ago or so from someone who said, I remember you from, from Union, Union Square. Square. Yeah, I found your website, and, and uh, man, that was great. And yeah, and I was, I wrote back, I said, that's so awesome. You remember that I worked there, because for me, that was the best period of street performing of my life. Like, doing Mario full-length show, like, really locking in that show as it is in Union Square, which I never thought was a pitch before I tried it. I worked it before anyone else. You did work it, and and, and Noah was doing stuff, and people, I just thought it was too scattered, the people, the energy was people walking too fast. I was working Union Square because I didn't want to wait at Washington Square Park for Tick and Tack to collect for an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. That was my first year working, so I went, I'd go up to Union Square and I'd do two shows. And I'd face those little, you know how with a where the stairs are, yeah, because there's. I was like, oh, the people are sitting there, so it's the concentrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so I do one in one end. Them. Yeah, and I'd be like, I made seventy five dollars tonight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, and that's what I saw. I saw you work there, and I saw Noah work there, who's not a busker. He no, was not just at all. busking, and I thought, okay, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> and. Um, mm. <laughs> No, but that would have been, when you worked out, that would have been a few years after. Yes. Yeah. And it turned out to be weeknights in the fall. I would go out, to, out yeah. there. And then I was already oh. moved out to Brooklyn, away from my beautiful Manhattan, Brazilian-bought apartment out in Brooklyn. And I um, was moved out there, so I'd take the L in and just yeah. go Why out. Why wasn't I doing shows when you were doing shows? I don't remember what the hell I was doing. I remember you telling me about it, and I never came out to work. Yeah. Maybe I didn't tell you about it. Now Maybe you I told you about it after. Me. No, but then oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep our secrets. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it was and uh, and there was some break dancers there, but they were really easily managed. They would do three fifteen-minute shows or something, and when they'd start the fourth one, I'd just turn on my stuff. I mean, there was no real competition. And New York it felt like that when I would stand on the case in that stupid outfit to do a crowd draw, you just saw people look at this image and go this is why I live in New York I'm going to watch this guy yeah I, and that oh man he's crazy because it's so weird being that it's New York yeah and then you see everything there but I would go down to the seaport I did Nigel like twice down there yeah and I would do nothing and I get a crowd yeah. I just all I'm doing is and like 
Jesus Christ, New yeah. York City, like, you see every fucking weirdo and everything. Yeah. But I'm standing there with a wig and yeah. this thing, and then I'm doing nothing, and people are like, yeah. what's this Ooh. guy going to do? Yeah. They're, like, fascinated. Yeah. Immediately, like, huge edge. Yeah. Just plugging in my amplifier or whatever. Yeah. It's so weird. It's, like, it's well, it's, it's not the costume, it's, well, okay, it's a bit of the costume, but, it, <laughs> but what it is, I think, is that, um... When you do the sort of cool busker thing of having a pair of shorts and a t-shirt on and coming out as yourself, and you put it yourself on the plane of the audience, which is an important thing to do, that that is a device in doing that, of putting yourself on the plane of the audience. So you're not presenting something to them, but you're doing something with them. That's what I did for years, and most buskers do. They dress up like the, the audience. And you start saying your pitch, or you start saying stuff to get a crowd... Sometimes that's really exciting in a place where they know shows are going on. And sometimes in New York or whatever, it's a real cynical thing of going, oh, this guy wants my money. Immediately, they think this guy wants my money. And so they have this kind of cynical attitude towards it. And if you get beyond that, of course, they love it. But with a costume, they now actually, I think New York is a place where they want to be presented to. They do have that uh, a sense of disbelief. you know. And it took me eight years of being there to tap into that for sure like it's, it works so well and yeah that was pretty much the only pitch in Union Square um, where I could do the crowd surf and everything and yeah Union Square and me that was magical I've never done Mario in South Street though no you didn't get into the program no that's right they rejected remember, it yeah no idiots <laughs> but uh Hey, well, you're I mean, you left anyway I remember you saying you go, you go I'm just going to put your address down for the uh, rejection letter because yeah. you were leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you didn't... I left anyway, yeah. Yeah, you weren't. Um, but, um... What was <laughs> yeah. I going to say? Sour grapes. What I remember... Th- 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 so, the other night, I... When I watched... But last night, was it... Jesus, last night? I watched Last Friday, and you did the thing with the heckler. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. I can remember, in Union Square, watching you... Like yeah, this that's one, that's where that came from. That was the first time. Where someone you're like, a uh, heckler, what is it? A heckler, heckler, yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, where I don't know what the word... I'm trying to find the word in English for heckler. Heckler, heckler. <laughs> yeah. that, that is uh, an asshole, but in the crowd. And, you know, it does two things. It says asshole. <laughs> and it completely takes me out of the equation of calling him an asshole. Yeah. It's like the definition. Oh, you're a heckler. You're like, oh. Which means you can say it almost... At the most benign heckle ever. Like, even if someone is just making a noise, it could just... Yeah, well, that's oh, what, heckler, what it was, wasn't it? it was like yeah, he was asking me for... No, he was a, oh. he was a tool, but he <laughs> but he, he knew what he was doing. But he was... Yeah, he was he, he was just asking me where the toilet was. Mario, where's the toilet? He was just making drunk noise. <laughs> yeah, so that... that Yeah, and those... Exactly. I mean, Union Square wrote lines like that for me because it was... It was a wet and juicy place to perform. Yeah, the not best. anymore. No, no, I got thrown out. I got I issued five subpoenas on my last day there. Five? Five. In uh, one show? In one show. This Nemo, his name was. Officer He'd come, Nemo. Officer Nemo. He'd engage the crowd. He'd talk to me about stopping, and I'd already done a show or two or whatever, and I'd stop and whatever. And he came back and told me to stop again, you know, a week or two later. And then he, he came back and said, I've told you to stop. Here's five subpoenas. One for open flame, failure to comply, soliciting... Uh, gathering an audience. Yeah, something about gathering an audience. Yeah. It's something about obstruction Unlo- or yeah. something. I got like an unlawful gathering at that time in Central Park. Yeah, maybe it's, it's some weird... An amplification. So something about gathering a crowd or stopping traffic. Did you go traffic. to court for those things? Uh, no, I had to write a letter. I, I had to go to Europe. 
I wrote the letter saying, I'm sorry, I'm not here. I was being paid to do what I'm being arrested to do in New York. And, and then I really never moved back after that. No, I did. I had one more sort of half a winter where I, you I lived in New York from sort of the fall until Christmas of 90, when you're 2006. That's when you did the show Ars Nova. Yeah, I mean, I, no, somewhere in there, yeah. But, I mean, <clears throat> I had moved out of Manhattan in 2005 with your help. Thank you again. Um, and <laughs> I remember you calling me that night. Yeah. <laughs> like, you Can you please come over life? and move my stuff? Yeah. No, I think I said, do you want to come save my life? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will get you beer if you come. Yeah. And then Christmas 2006, I moved away from New York forever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so. I used to be known as being very hardcore and doing five shows a day. I've done 12 shows a day. Once twelve shows in one I day. Did one, I did the twelve hell did you shows do that? a day. I even lied about it. Someone said, "How many shows you do?" And I said, nine. <laughs> <laughs> that was a <laughs> safer I was, number. I was embarrassed, and I had I had done twelve. Where were you? Zurich during a festival called Zurifast, which happens every four years. Yeah, the whole t- city becomes this stupid festival. People. Yeah, I'll share this with you because okay. you clearly. Uh, yeah, I'm much slower. Well, I have a show tonight. So I have shows tonight. It's a well. juggle. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, it's um, nowadays. I yeah, if two or three, I could do three, and that's it. But really, that's it. I mean, I, I, I'm not just saying that. I, mm-hmm. I really can't. In your forties, I know. It's all right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's everything has changed. Yeah, it's that time. Oh shit! Yeah, I can't get along, can I? But I wanted to end with something real nice. Okay, <clears throat> like a positive message. Oh, I don't know. Would you take two negative messages? <laughs> <laughs> Woody Allen. No, let's see. <laughs> so, who do you, who do you think were your biggest influences for street theater? There's a few people. I mean, David Holder blew my mind. Australian. He used to do the uh, a straight jacket on a unicycle. He had a real distressed-out character, which really related to my demeanor, and so I, I kind of adopted his vibe Where'd you when I spoke. Uh, Stockholm, my first season at the Water Festival, and I stole the, his intro. I used to go, and I everybody knew me in Boulder because I would yell, "Excuse me," and uh, that was the first thing I would say to get a crowd. And just his whole vibe, and it was a very simple show. He didn't do anything. He just got on the unicycle in the straight jacket and escaped from it. it was short, amazing. And then, um, at that time, pretty much everybody I met, I was influenced by bad and good. I was like, ooh, I don't want to turn out like that guy. Yeah. A lot of guys like that that I met that I tried to steer my career away from ending up in a situation that would look like that. And uh, and Peter Post, Mr. Jones, because he was really doing um, ironic. I mean, not that I did that. I just really liked his show. And also, I'd, I'd had a lot of conversations with him about the business. And he, I'm still trying to be like him. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was like, he really uh, had a lot of influence on on my young mind. And he took me seriously, which was nice, too. Like, he was... Uh, a big help. And you met him early on. Yeah, 
I've had major conversations with him about the whole art before I'd ever seen a show actually yeah so I had already you know I already knew he, he had something going on and then when I finally did see a show I was side splitting amazing the stunt pig show yeah you know and he's it's this is a great thing where he's dividing the audience some people are just saying man this guy is terrible and he's getting so angry I mean literally people are believing that and then then there's another half of the audience that are just you know cannot keep it in they're laughing so hard and I love that dangerous line yeah I don't, not that I do it <laughs> I just love it <laughs> don't get me wrong I just I just cheese and please everybody <laughs> well thank you Clark for you being welcome, part man. of the adventure that is the stories from the pitch just ask me to talk about myself stories from the pitch <laughs> good night Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these stories. We throw hours into the production of each episode and then put them out into the world for free because we feel the stories and examples that are shared provide the sort of inspiration capable of elevating the craft of street theater to a higher level. If you enjoy the content, help us cover the hard costs of maintaining and delivering it to you by throwing a little love into our online hat. Just head over to the Busker Hall of Fame website and click on the Donate button. At this stage, we've put out over 24 hours worth of content, so a $20 donation from you represents less than 50 cents an hour for what we've delivered, which seems like a bargain. Your contributions really do allow us to continue to grow this resource and generate more content, so thanks in advance for supporting this project. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Simply go to the podcast library, type in Stories from the Pitch, and download away. And while you're there, please do consider leaving us a review and giving us a five-star rating. It'll take just a minute or two, and it means the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we could improve, or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop me a line at cbg at buskerhalloffame.com. Haven't gotten enough Buskerhoff content? Well, then check out our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash buskerhalloffame. Follow us on Twitter or Yappy at Busker Stories, or sign up for our newsletter on the Busker Hall of Fame website, where you can also check out a collection of pictures that Clark provided in support of this episode. Wondering what risks you should take in your own show and what the motivation should be when you take those risks? Clark has a few closing thoughts on this very topic. If you take a risk because you want to make money, you know, maybe you should rethink it. That is such a bad motivation to create. Yeah. Uh, the motivation to create that we had with the was our dreams. Our dreams of working with a live band. Our dream of putting together a full-length show. Because we really felt like we had this circus thing. And we were really jazzed by all the stuff we saw in Europe. And that's what led to that, which led to our divorce, which led to Mario. <laughs> <laughs> the end. The end. On behalf of myself, co-producer Lindsay Lindbergh, who created the initial edit for this episode, Magic Brian, who captured this interview, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And as you perform for audiences around the world, please remember to use your superpowers for good. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy. Thanks for listening. Heckler, what is it? Uh, heckler, heckler. <laughs> that, that is uh, an asshole, but in the crowd. <laughs>